Welcome to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kiefman, and we are getting ready into the mood and mode for Hanukkah coming up in just a few days. So let's discuss a few angles and aspects of Hanukkah, time permitting. Let's start with the history. I'll read you a little bit about the history of Hanukkah, and then we'll get into some of the customs, observances, insights, and whatever else we're able to uncover in the message of Hanukkah. So, why do we celebrate Hanukkah? Let's talk about the history about it. Greece originally consisted of powerful warring city-states such as Athens and Sparta, who for many centuries remained confined to their own borders, largely because of internal battles with neighboring city-states. The city-states of Greece had a highly advanced culture of their times. It was home to the great philosophers, Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, the great mathematicians like Pythagoras, Lucid. And then, after years of Greek culture remaining contained within the geographic borders of the city-states, Alexander the Great and his armies went out and conquered many countries. Most, if not all, of the civilized world at the time came under his rule. He built an empire as far-reaching as India to the east and Egypt to the south. When Alexander the Great died, his empire was divided between his four generals who warred between each other for power and succession. The division established different Greek kingdoms within the civilized world. And that's what happened. In the time of prosperity that followed Alexander the Great, the lands that were under Greek influence progressed in the areas of the arts, exploration, literature, theater, architecture, music, mathematics, philosophy, and science, developing a very highly cultured society, a culture that was called Hellenism. Even the Torah recognizes the beauty of the Greek language and culture. The Gemara tells us in Masechet Megillah, Rav Shimon ben Gamliel Omer, that the great sage Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel said, The only language besides Hebrew that one can write, the Tanachim, is Greek. And the Gemara asks, what's the basis for this ruling of Rav Shimon ben Gamliel? And he quotes a Pasuk that says, Yaft elekim yafes, yishkam ba'aleshem. May Hashem expand Yafes and He will dwell in the tents of Shem. This means the beauty of Yafes will be in the tents of Shem. Yafes is the father of Yavan of Greece, the founder of Greek culture. So as the culture of Hellenism grew in popularity, there were many Jews who adopted its philosophy and practice. Hellenism celebrated the human body and its pleasures to the point of gross indulgence. The Olympic Games were invented for athletes to show off their might, their prowess. Hellenism worshipped the human being and the intellect while it scorned faith, ritual, superstition, all matters pertaining to the spiritual. This is typical of the Greek approach. Rambam writes about the mathematician and philosopher Aristotle. He says about him, scientists go in the way of the Greek Aristotle, 
who denied the reality of anything that he could not experience with his own senses. He and his students were arrogant enough to believe that anything which they did not understand could not possibly be true. And it was not long before the Seleucid, the Syrian Greek emperors issued a series of harsh decrees against the Jews and against certain Jewish practices that they felt were a threat to the spread of this Hellenistic culture. Rambam tells us that during the times of the second base of Mikdash, when the Greeks ruled over the Jewish people, they instituted decrees against them. They attempted to destroy the Jewish religion. They did not allow the Jews to study Torah or perform mitzvahs. They took their money and their daughters and they entered and defiled the Beis HaMikdash where they violated its purity. The Greeks subjected the Jews to great hardships and pressured them immensely until the God of our fathers had pity on them and saved them. They insisted that every bride present herself before the regional governor the night before her wedding to be defiled by him. They decreed against the observance of Shabbos, the Jewish calendar, bris milah, penalty of death for all these. It says in Otsar Midrashim, at that time the Greeks arose over the Jewish people and nullified the covenant which the Jews made with Hashem, which is observance of Shabbos, Rosh Chodesh, which is our Jewish calendar system, and the mitzvah of circumcision, bris milah. Their primary concern was the Jews' faith was in an, an invisible God and the various rituals associated with the faith, particularly ones that didn't make sense to them. For example, because the Greeks worshipped the human body, they saw circumcision as a mutilation of the body. The Medrash tells us that they even made the Jews pledge their lack of faith in Hashem. That's what they would do. And the Greeks told the Jewish people, write for yourselves on the horn of an ox that you have no sheer no shear in the God of Israel. Now the thing is, the Greeks' problem was not with the Torah and mitzvahs per se, as much as with the fact that it was divine, that it was God's Torah, Hashem's mitzvahs. In fact, we say this in the Vialanistan prayer that we add to our Amida and to the benching of Hanukkah. We read the words, it was in the times of that historical time of Matisyo, the son of the of Matisyo, the son of Yochanan the Kohen Gadol and his children, when the evil Greek kingdom rose up against the Jewish nation, and the, what does it say? We say there they rose up against us to make us forget your Torah. And to make us turn away from your mitzvahs. What the emphasis is on the yours. What does it mean to make them forget your Torah? Just say make could have just said that they made us forget the Torah. It didn't bother the Greeks much that the Jews studied Torah though. The Talmud tells us that wasn't their problem. Their problem was they wanted that they, they said Torah for intellectual benefit, sure, wonderful. But because it's your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the nation, that was their problem. The main purpose of their war was to make them forget your Torah. To cause the Jews to forget that the Torah is Hashem's. Similarly, with regard to the mitzvahs, the Greeks battled against the divine aspect of the mitzvahs. The fact that the mitzvahs are the will of Hashem. This is the meaning where it says, 
להעבירם מחוקי רצונך. That they try to drive us away from the chukim. What are chukim? It's a specific type of law. These are laws that are not understandable. These are laws that are beyond our comprehension. Take, for example, the laws of shatnas, even though there was some recent study that the mixture of wool and linen is, has some other issues and concerns. But that was the problem that the Hellenists had. And not only were the Hellenistic Greeks not opposed to Torah study itself, on the contrary, they, they, they forced 72 sages to translate the Torah into Greek so it adorned their library and they could access the magnificent, beautiful teachings of the Torah from a secular pursuit of knowledge perspective. The Gemara talks about this. There's a story, Maise Betalmi HaMalach, that King Ptalmi, he once gathered 72 elders and he placed them in 72 chambers, each of them in a separate room, without revealing to them why they were summoned. And he went into each room and he said, write the Torah for me. In Greek, and the Gemara continues to relate how each of them decided to make changes. They each made specific changes in the translation in order not to offend the king, in order not to mislead him to arrive at incorrect conclusions about the Torah's meaning. And they all had the same exact changes. So why did the Greeks want to study Torah? The Maharal of Prague tells us that the central feature of the Greek nation was the desire for wisdom. And that is why they requested the sages to translate the Torah for them. The Gemara tells us and says, because, as it says in the Gemara, in the, Gemara, in the Megillah, that, that they revered, they respected, they were, they were intellectually inclined. They revered wisdom. Obviously, Ptolemy and the rest of the kings, they didn't care for the divinity, for the spiritual aspect of Torah, only for the secular wisdom that they thought they could gain from it. The Hellenist war against the Judaism was to eradicate the service of Hashem from Torah study, not the Torah itself, in and of itself. And once Antiochus Epiphanes, once his soldiers took control of the Beis HaMikdash, they defiled it with pagan worship of the Vadazara, that's where it crossed the line that cannot be tolerated. And when a group of Syrian Greek soldiers came to Modi'in to uphold the Greek decree. A small band of Jews, led by Matisyahu the Kohen Gadol, they began to revolt. The group formed into a small militia, united under the banner of Mi Kamalcha Ba'edim Hashem, the acronym which formed the word Maccabi, who is as great as you Hashem. And with God's help, they managed to miraculously overwhelm the Greek Syrian army in the battle and battle after battle after battle. Antiochus sent one general after another to crush the Jewish revolt, but the Jews kept ambushing them, coming out victorious despite the fact that they were outnumbered many times over by the soldiers with superior training and weaponry. But battle after battle, they raged on until they were able to regain control of the Samikdash, to rededicate it, and Sochanika celebrates the rededication of the Samikdash. That's the meaning of the word Chanukah. It means dedication. Now, following the episode of Chanukah, the Maccabean army lost several wars in which 
several Chashmanayim. Matis and his family were called the Chashmanayim. Many of them were killed. Those wars, following the story of Hanukkah, were not about defending Judaism as a religion from Hellenist influence, but rather they were to secure the Maccabean political control of Eretz Yisrael. That was a problem because the Maccabees were Kohanim, and actually Kohanim were not the ones who were given the monarchy of Israel, rather the tribe of Yehuda. So sadly it appears that there's a trend in history that whenever there's a battle to defend Judaism, then Hashem always comes to our aid and the Jewish forces miraculously manage to defeat our enemies. That has always been the case. But unfortunately after that, there were political battles amongst the Jews. And when the Chashmanayim entered the Beis HaMikdash to rededicate it, that's, you know, they saw, they came upon a very sad sight. The Greeks had transformed it into a temple for worshipping a Greek idol. And the Chashmanayim did not waste any time in repairing the Beit HaMikdash. They reinstituted its service. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul, writing on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Rabbi Harry Kievman, and we were talking about the story of Hanukkah. We left off with the Hashmanaim returning to the temple, to the Beit HaMikdash, where they wanted to reinstate, they wanted to rededicate, because the problem was that they couldn't find oil suitable for lighting the menorah. It had all been touched and defiled by the Greeks. So miraculously, they managed to find one small jar of oil that was enough to light the menorah for one day. And as we know, miraculously, the oil lasted an entire eight days until they were able to procure new oil that could be used to light the menorah. And this, says the Gemara, is why we celebrate Hanukkah. Let me share with you the Gemara itself. Tractate Shabbos, my Hanukkah. The Gemara asks, what is Hanukkah? Hey, this is a tongue twister. When the Greeks entered the holy sanctuary, they defiled all the oils of the that were in the in the sanctuary. And when the dynasty of the Hashmanaim grew strong and defeated the Greeks, what happened? They were searching for oil. They searched and found only one flask of oil that still had the stamp of the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, that had been set aside. And there was only enough oil to burn for one day. And what happens? There was A great miracle occurred and they lit the menorah from that oil and it lasted eight days and so, we dedicate this period of time for days of halal v'hada'ah, of praise and thanksgiving to Hashem. Now, why did they need the oil to last eight days? So the Shulchan Aruch, the Beit Yosef, talks about this, the Mechaber. And he says the reason they needed the light of the menorah for eight days from that very container of oil was because all of the Jews were ritually impure. They were what's called Tamei Mes. They were ritually impure from the war. And it was impossible to prepare new pure oil until a seven-day waiting period had passed. Besides, 
So in addition to the one day required for the pressing of the olives and the procedure to prepare the oil, the Ran gives a different reason. He says that the eight-day period was necessary because pure olive oil was available at quite a distance. It was a four-day's trip to travel there. And so for the eight days from the round trip, that's how long it would take, hence the miracle of the eight days. Now going back to the Gemara's description of the events of Hanukkah, there were several miracles that contributed to the Hanukkah story. Firstly, there was the miracle of the few Maccabees defeating the large and mighty Greek armies. Secondly, there was the miracle of finding the small flask of oil with the stamp of the Kain Gadol intact. Thirdly, there was the miracle of the oil lasting for eight days when there was only enough to last for one day. There were three miracles which are different to each other, different than each other. Firstly, you look at, you know, the there was only the miracle of the few Maccabees defeating the, the Greek armies. That miracle is in a battle that seems statistically impossible. But obviously, I should say rather more improbable than impossible. There was no point during the war that you could point at any detail and say that was an open miracle. There are some recorded miracles. For the most part, the whole, the entirety of this is miraculous. The fact that Hashem makes a small flask of oil that they were able to find that oil with the coin Gadol seal in it. They, they, that, that it appeared. Now obviously it's a miracle that defied the rules of nature, the flask of oil miraculously being found. The miracle was manifest in such a manner that no spectator was able to witness nature being defied per se. At first they couldn't find oil. They looked, they searched, and they found the sun. This was a miracle that defied nature but was still enclosed within nature. And then there was the miracle of the oil lasting for eight days. This was in defiance of the rules of nature, even for the spectator. So the Beit Yosef, he actually gives several reasons, several ways in which this miracle could have taken place. And he says, there are lots of answers, but here, let's just go through the ones presented, posed by the Beit Yosef. We need to understand why Hanukkah was established for eight days and there was already sufficient oil in the flask for one night. Surely the miracle only lasted seven nights. He asks, shouldn't we just celebrate seven days? Because the miracle is only seven, not eight. You already had the flask of oil. And he explains, one explanation is that they divided the oil in the flask into eight portions and each night they put one portion into the menorah and yet that little portion remained lit until the morning. So we find that a miracle took place on actually each night of the original Hanukkah celebration. Another explanation he offers is that after they poured the required amount of oil from the flask into the lamps of the menorah, the flask remained as full of oil as it had been originally, and the miracle was obvious even already on the first night. Another explanation is that on the first night, they poured all the oil into the lamps and it stayed lit all night. In the morning, they found the lamps full of oil. And this reoccurred each of the eight nights. So according to the Beit Yosef, each of the days is miraculous. Now, which is the primary miracle of Hanukkah? We said that there were several miracles for which we commemorate Hanukkah. Which of them is considered the main one? 
The Maharal of Prague says the essence of the establishment of the festival Hanukkah was the military defeat of the Greeks, except that it was not apparent to them that this victory was a miracle. Therefore, the miracle of the lights of the menorah was performed for them so that they would know that everything, everything, the battles which appeared improbable, but not impossible, and yet it happened, is part of nature. Sorry, it was not part of nature. It was, it was a miraculous. That was a miracle of Hashem. The Ramban says, From the great and obvious miracles, one comes to appreciate Hanistarim, the hidden miracles. One of the important messages of the Hanukkah miracle is to remind us of the small miracles that exist in our own personal life. Creation itself is miraculous. You think about the phenomenon of creation, the fact that we woke up this morning. But due to the ever-recurring illusion of nature, we often fail to realize the hand of Hashem working through nature, or the nature itself is a miracle. We should always be on the lookout to notice the hashkacha pratis, the divine providence, and the small miracles that exist within everything that happens to us, and recognize the hand of Hashem that is constantly guiding the direction of our lives. Hasidus explains that not only was the miracle with the oil in order to demonstrate the miracle of winning the war in a manner that all will realize that it was a true miracle, but the miracle of the oil itself was a product of the self-sacrifice, the mysterious nefesh of Matis Yauka and Gadol and his sons. And he explains that this light that transcends the limitations and shines during the days of Hanukkah through the Hanukkah lamps was introduced to the Messias Nefesh of Matisio and his sons. The great darkness that existed then that evoked within them the power of self-sacrifice that transcends the natural order of the person. And so they were able to draw from their very essence of Hashem this infinite light that transcends natural limitations. When a person serves God by defying our own nature, our own limitations, then God responds in kind by relating to us in a miraculous way. We can overcome all the obstacles and challenges that we face. So to celebrate Hanukkah, our sages established two main mitzvahs. Number one is to light the menorah to remember that miracle. And number two, to praise Hashem for the miracles. And therefore, we don't fast or eulogize. We instead add in our prayers, we recite Halalah every day next week. The primary function of lighting the menorah is not only to commemorate the miracles, but to publicize them. And this is why it is placed near a doorway on the outside. The Gemara tells us, that the menorah should be placed on the outside because of Pesumenisa to publicize the miracle. Now, in today's day and age, outside of Yerushalayim, most people no longer place the menorah near the main doorway of the house. Especially here in Joburg, most people won't see it. And this truthfully became came about because in Europe there was religious persecution and also in certain regions, harsh weather conditions, you know, what winter's like in New York or Russia. So in the Chabad custom, we actually place the menorah in a doorway, but inside the house. So it could be placed on the left side of the doorway, opposite the mezuzah, unlike others, many people have a custom of placing it by the window. Now, from the window, hopefully it can be publicly seen. 
But the main theme here is Pesume Misa, to publicize the miracle. Maybe that's why in Chabad, because our menorahs are not as visible on the outside, so we put up our big public menorahs, which are even more visible on the outside. And this is something that is seen by everybody. The menorah itself, generally speaking, should not be too high so people could see it. The height limitation is 20 amas, which is about 10 meters high. And it shouldn't be too low, more than three hand breadths. Okay? So, when should we light the menorah? We talk about Hanukkah starting on Sunday, the 25th of Kislev. Says the Shulchan Aruch, one lights the Hanukkah lamp from sunset onward. If one did not light at sunset, one should light as long as people are returning from the marketplace, which is approximately half an hour after sunset. Since this is the optimal time to publicize the miracle, obviously people on the roads then, and you get a lot more foot traffic and people will see your menorah. Of course, if this time period has passed and you couldn't, then the Shulchan Aruch says you could light it all night. How many lights to kindle? This is a discussion in the Gemara. The Gemara says, Tanarabban and the sages taught, Mitzvah's Hanukkah and her Ishabesa, the mitzvah of lighting the Hanukkah menorah, is one candle for a person and his home. Tamahadrin, but those who are beautifying this mitzvah, Mahadrin, is to light one candle for each member of the household. Here is a dispute. Beis Shammai said that the most beautiful way to perform the mitzvah, Mahadrin, Mina Mahadrin, is to light eight candles on the first day of Hanukkah and decrease on each successive night. Beis Hillel said to light one candle on the first night of Hanukkah and increase on each successive night. Now there are three ways the sages provided for the mitzvah to be done as we discussed here in the Gemara. Number one is the primary mitzvah. Simplest way to fulfill the mitzvah is for every household to light one candle each night to remember the miracle. Mahadrin, a more beautiful way to do so, is each person in every household should light one candle each night. But then there's Mahadrin and Mahadrin, the most, the most beautiful way to fulfill the mitzvah according to Beis Hillel, which would follow is to light one candle on the first night, two on the second night, we increase, add one additional candle on each night. And the Shulchan Aruch, it is clear that everyone is accustomed to performing the mitzvah in the most beautiful, may this way, Mahadrin and Mahadrin. In fact, you cannot buy a Hanukkah menorah from any Judaica store that is just plain kosher or even Mahadrin. They only sell the Mahadrin, Mina Mahadrin. Why Mahadrin isn't good enough? Well, there are two aspects to this that are out of the ordinary. Firstly, ordinarily, there is a simple way to perform any mitzvah, and then there are ways you can increase in beautifying the mitzvah, but never more than just beautifying it. With regard to the Hanukkah menorah, however, there's an unusual additional step of beautification called Mahadrin Mina Mahadrin, the beautification within the beautification. When it comes to other mitzvahs, most people follow the simple kosher way to fulfill the mitzvah. Whereas only unique individuals take upon themselves that hidr mitzvah, the additional measures to beautify the mitzvah. When it comes to the Hanukkah menorah, all Jews perform the mitzvah the same way, mahadrim and mahadrim. I want to share with you, the Rebbe explains why the Hanukkah menorah is unique in this regard. And he says as follows, in one of his talks in Taurus Menachem volume 29, he says the purpose of the miracle was to demonstrate God's love for us. 
although the Chashmanayim could have fulfilled their mitzvah by lighting the menorah with impure oil, nevertheless, in order to show how much Hashem cherishes us, God made the miracle that shattered the rules of nature for us to be able to fulfill the mitzvah in a beautified way. And this is what makes the mitzvah of lighting the menorah unique, that it commemorates a miracle that was created to allow us to fulfill the mitzvah. Therefore, everyone does it the mahadrin way. Not just mahadrin, but mahadrin, mina mahadrin, the most beautiful way. Now here's a question that often comes up. People say, while the Hanukkah menorah was established to commemorate the miracle that happened with the menorah in the Mesa Mikdash, there are several differences between a Hanukkah and a menorah. Okay? Even though we call it the Hanukkah menorah. And here's something interesting. And it says, although the sages established the light of Hanukkah to commemorate the lamps of the Beis HaMikdash, and everything the sages established, they do so in a manner consistent with its biblical equivalent, nevertheless, they differ from the menorah and the Beis HaMikdash in several ways. First of all, the number. The menorah and the Beis HaMikdash had seven lamps. Hanukkah menorah, eight. The location, the menorah was situated inside, in the Kodesh, in the sanctuary. On the southern right side. Whereas on Hanukkah, we place the menorah outside. And not on the right side, but on the left. In the time of their kindling, think about it, the lamps of the Beis HaMikdash were lit from the time of Mincha. That's about an hour and a quarter before sunset. Whereas the mitzvah of Hanukkah is fulfilled after sunset. And the Rebbe quotes his father-in-law, the previous Rebbe, that the mitzvah is to place the Hanukkah lamps outside, which is a phenomenon we don't find elsewhere, besides for the Parahaduma, that the mitzvah must be performed specifically outside in the public domain. Now why are there these differences? What makes Hanukkah different with regards to all the other aspects of other mitzvahs? Hanukkah is about the outside. It is designed not just to light up the world, that was the function of the base, not the base mikdash too, but it's intended to light up the darkness specifically. The quote from the Rebbe and the Mimer, he says, the time for when they were supposed to be lit is after sunset. Because the purpose of Hanukkah lamps is to light up the darkness. The Hanukkah menorah is situated outside in the public domain and on the left in order to light up even the darkness of the public domain. The mountains of separateness that derive their power from the left side, the side of unholiness. This is why there are eight Hanukkah lamps. Because the reason why the lights of Hanukkah are able to light up the darkness, even the darkness of the public domain, is because the light of Hanukkah lamps is a light that emanates from above, Seder HaYishtalshalus, it's higher than the source of the world, higher than the natural order. And therefore, there are eight lamps. Because the number eight signifies, it symbolizes, it represents a level that is higher than nature. If you need to shine a light to light up an area, the further the distance is from the light source, the stronger the light has to be to reach that place where you want to look. To light up the darkness of the world, the places where divine light does not shine naturally due to a powerful darkness, a light that is more powerful than nature is required. And this is why the Hanukkah lights emanate from a light source that transcends the natural order. Of course, 
that's about the menorah light, why it's specifically outside and at night. But equally as important as lighting the menorah is the mitzvah to show our gratitude, our thanks to Hashem for the miracles that Hashem performed for saving our ancestors. As Rashi says, Hanukkah was established for the sake of gratitude. It's for this reason that the sages instituted a prohibition against fasting or eulogizing during the eight days of Hanukkah and required us to recite Halal, the Alanisim, and the Shemana Esrei, and uh, the Alanisim, sorry, in the Amida and Shemana Esrei, as well as in Denching, right? Where we thank Hashem for our food in Nodelcha and all the wonderful things that God does for us. Some opinions, some Anari opinions, that there is a requirement to celebrate by eating a meal. We eat extra foods, particularly oily foods like latkes and donuts to remember the miracle of the oil. Some eat dairy to remember the story of Yehudas. The reason why there isn't a specific rule of a festive meal like Ampurim is because Ampurim, there was a physical salvation. There was a decree to kill the Jews physically. Therefore, the celebration is more of a physical one with food and drinks. Whereas the decrees relating to Hanukkah were spiritual in nature against Torah and mitzvahs. So, therefore, we commemorate in more of a spiritual manner by lighting candles and adding praises to Hashem in our davening. Finally, one more thought. In Mishle, it says, Proverbs, Kimer mitzvah the Torah er, for a mitzvah is a lamp and Torah is light. And we'll be right back to discuss this particular verse and some more messages of Hanukkah just now. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Rabbi Ari Kivman. And as promised, we're going to look at this verse, Kinir Mitzvah Vatara Ur, a verse from Mishle Proverbs, in which King Solomon tells us, a mitzvah is a lamp and Torah is light. There is so much darkness in our world. I don't have to emphasize, you know, the darkness, the terrorism, the problems, the poverty, the economic situation, the pandemic situation, all this darkness is a concealment of God's presence. And this darkness is represented by a culture of society that doesn't allow us to notice and value the Hashgacha Pratis that surrounds us and the divine power, the light and joy in performing a mitzvah, in studying Torah and serving Hashem. There are forces that seek to extinguish the light of mitzvah. But like oil, with which we light the menorah, we have to rise above and stand apart from the society in which we live. It might not be popular, but we engage with society, but we stand above it. We impact it. We saturate society with a light of goodness and kindness of Torah and mitzvahs, giving it our all, doing what we can, even if that requires some self-sacrifice, Mesiris Nefesh. That's why the Rebbe encouraged us to go out and see to it that every Jew lights a Hanukkah menorah. Hanukkah is about persimonisa, spreading the message of light, kindling the soul of another with the light of a mitzvah. So my friends, let's wrap up our discussion today. We talked about how the Greeks, they had no problem with Torah studies and academic pursuit. They even translated it into Greek to study it. However, they worshipped reason and human ability and they took issue with the holy and irrational aspect of Torah mitzvahs. How do we 
defy that. How do we overpower that? When we study Torah, when we do mitzvahs, when we give that unconditional love, not based on rhyme or reason per se. We discuss the three miracles that Hanukkah commemorates. The victory of the few and weak over the many and mighty. The finding of a single flask of untouched oil to light the menorah. And the fact that oil that could last for just one day lasted for eight. The primary commemoration is the victory at war. While the open miracle of the oil expressed that there was a more profound degree of miracle inherent within the victory. The big miracles are there for us to pay attention to, but not just the big, but to notice all the small miracles in our lives. Every day, there's so many miracles that happen. Pay attention. Realize it. The Hanukkah menorah is different from the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash. That's why it's called the Chanukiah. And it's different in multiple ways in its placement. Hanukkah menorah, we place outside. The menorah in the temple was inside. The temple's menorah is on the right side. The Chanukiah, we put on the left side. The temple's menorah was lit by day. Hanukkah menorah at night. Because the purpose of the Hanukkah menorah is to light up the darkness. To illuminate the left, the dark, the outside. And therefore it expresses an even more potent light that could reach the darkness and completely transform it. If we think of the Mesiris Nefesh, the self-sacrifice of the Hashmanayim, rising above their nature, is what brought about the miracle. They could have used the impure oil to light the menorah, but Hashem performed a miracle to allow them to beautify the mitzvah. And that's why we beautify our mitzvahs, and particularly Hanukkah is a mitzvah that is celebrated as Mahadrin min Mahadrin, to the highest ability, to the best that we can. So my friends, remember as Hanukkah begins this e- this Sunday evening, 28th of November, to start your Hanukkah celebrations. It goes all the way through for eight days. The final night will be the following Sunday, 5th of December. But Hanukkah doesn't end on Sunday. It ends on Monday evening. Although that's not when we light the menorah. But we will go all the way through Monday the 5th. It recalls the victory of a militarily weak Jewish people who defeated the Syrian Greeks who had overrun ancient Israel and it's, they sought to impose their restrictions on us. And so we celebrate our religious freedom. And as they desecrated and defiled the Holy Temple, as we discussed the routine daily service, we call it Hanukkah, which means to dedicate. We rededicate ourselves to our commitment of Torah and mitzvahs, to bringing more light into the world, to make the world a better place. Today, people of all faiths consider Hanukkah as a, a holiday, a symbol, a message of the triumph of freedom over oppression, of spirit over matter, of light over darkness. And so, my friends, let us do our part. You can pick up menorahs at Chabad House and give them to people who need You can join us for our giant menorah lightings all over town. I will be officiating in Santon Central, in Africa's tallest menorah. You could go to the one at Kosher World or at Norwood Mall. Hanukkah's observance 
is something that's done out in the public. Bring your family. Do something to be part of it, to illuminate the darkness of the outside. And so, even though it's true that for many years people lit the menorahs only indoors, away from those that in the past have hated us, but now that we have the freedom of our religious rights, let us light the menorah in public. Let's celebrate. We even have menorahs you could buy to put on top of your car or in your office to bring more light to the world. Get one. Illuminate your home, illuminate your office, illuminate your space and encourage others to do the same so that we have more light out there. Because as they say, the effect of the light illuminates the outside, the environment. We can't chase away darkness with broomsticks, but we can with a little bit of light dispel all the darkness. So let's do our part. Let's do what we can to make the world a brighter, brighter place. This year, Hanukkah is much earlier than usually. Usually it's in later December, but as the Jewish calendar follows the monthly lunar calendar cycle of 12 months of the year, you know, alternating 29 or 30 days for a total of 354 days in a regular year. But the 11 day shortfall means that we have to add this year an extra month so this is a Jewish leap year to make sure that Pesach will be in the correct season of spring in Israel, as described in the Torah. So this year being a Jewish leap year, that's why Hanukkah is a little bit earlier than what perhaps you're used to. But its message is still the same. Firstly, be joyous. Everyone's especially excited about Hanukkah, especially this year. People are preparing to celebrate with family and friends to fill our homes with light, let us tap into that joy. Safely, of course, because of COVID, but the menorah's power is especially felt when we light it with joy, with enthusiasm, with passion, with excitement. Sing the song, celebrate. Light will always be prevail over the darkness. Hanukkah emphasizes that each and every individual has the unique power to illuminate the world around us. And the responsibility comes not only when it's simple or easy, but when it seems most difficult. Indeed, the lights of the Hanukkah menorah, as we kindle them, once the sun is set and it's dark outside, that's when the light and energy of a candle has the greatest impact. Sometimes it might seem insignificant in the greater global picture, but Hanukkah reminds us that a little bit of light could push away all that darkness. We each possess that light. And so let's remember that as we kindle our menorahs outdoors in a place where Rainbow Nation, where we are guaranteed our freedom from tyranny and oppression, freedom from for all people to express their own faith as they see fit, as we should be more tolerant of others and others more tolerant of us. When we light our menorah, and we'll kindle it out in the public, representing the principles of equality and religious freedom. That's what the Rainbow Nation symbolizes. Let's celebrate that right. Don't take it for granted. It didn't always exist. And so, on Sunday, I light one candle, but on Monday, I light another. Each day, we increase the light, bring more and more light, and make the world that much more bright. 
The menorah reminds us we should always aspire to increase in the positive things that we do. If you did one good deed yesterday, well, do two more today and three more the next day. Always be growing and improving and spreading, shining more and more light. Let's do our part, bring more light to the world and celebrate this festival of light. All the best, wishing you wonderful Hanukkah. And remember, giant menorah lightings, quarter to seven each night. Santon City, Ravonia entrance, Norwood Mall, and Kosher World. Wishing you all a wonderful, joyous, and bright Hanukkah.